when they were talking, he basically was like talking about his contributions that he made to the university and stuff like that. Yeah, so I think that's a decent place to start. So Roy ended at 903 wins, which means that um, there's what? John Wooden, Shishimi, Shashevsky. Just call it K. Huggy Bear is going to be on him ASAP because their last game in the tournament that they won was his 900th win. So he's only got four more wins. And if he just coaches next season, a team of trained monkeys will be able to get that done. So, I mean, it's, it's wild. Is this for the all-time wins list? Yes. Um, you know, what's actually really funny. Now maybe ESPN gave me the wrong info and that's just regular season wins for him, but. No, John Wooden's actually not on this list. It's, it's absolute insanity. <laughs> John Wooden is number 30 and he's won 664 total games. 30. See, and that just goes to show you, like, I don't know, were the seasons that much different back then or were there that few teams back I think, then? I think, I think the seasons were just that much different because I think, you know, as, as college basketball has expounded and its popularity has expounded, we've gotten more conference games, we've gotten more non-conference games, we've gotten more tournaments out of this. It's like all that fun stuff. So I think that's what it really is. That's insanity. So it's like Coach K is first by close to 100 wins. Bayheim, Roy, Bob Knight's at 899. When was this updated? Hold on. Because I don't see Huggy Bear on. Oh, Huggy Bear won. Oh, I don't think this is. Wait. Yeah, wait. This is. Is, it, is that just a regular season list you're checking out? Are you on Wikipedia? I'm trying to figure that out because it says. Uh, no, it just it, this is this is just a weird list because it's like Bob Knight's at eight ninety nine, so obviously Huggy Bear won nine hundred. Yes, but you got like Roy's at nine oh three on this list, but I think Roy won one more game, so it might be a nine oh four. Bayheim is wherever, and K is wherever. Then you got Dean Smith at eight ninety nine, Calhoun at eight seventy seven, Rupp at seven eight seventy six, Eddie Sutton at eight oh six, Cal Perry's at seven eighty four. That's a name that so many people forget about how important he is to just the sport of college basketball is Rupp. Yeah. I mean, I, and myself included, I, I forgot about him, like just brain farted until you mentioned it. But I mean, he, they named one of the most famous college football or not football, college basketball arenas after him. I mean, it's, yeah. it's insane in Kentucky. So, I mean, they take their basketball more seriously than, than I take my football and my gambling. What's a cooler name, Rupp Arena or the Yum Center? <laughs> Both I Kentucky. Actually to, I actually have to think about this now. Hold on. I'm going to go Yum Center. Okay. Okay. And I was thinking, I was thinking Rupp only because it actually has a college basketball name to it, and it just wasn't bought. But Yum Yum Center is an electric name. Like, hey, I'll meet you at the Yum. <laughs> Were you playing this week? The yum. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna get we're gonna get our, our shit smacked in the yum. That's fine. Just it, um I want to bring this up too because going into you know, we've got the final weekend here of college basketball. I have to admit, when it came to what was that, uh Tuesday night when the last yeah. when the last like Tuesday night. Sunday, Tuesday, whatever day, honestly, like whatever day the college basketball week tells me it is, that's what it is. Yes. And I, 
I have two theories about this. One, I was basketballed out, man. By Tuesday night, I was like, holy shit. Like I had, we had been mainlining college basketball for four days straight. Which is like surprising because like, I feel like if it was like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, like everyone would be fine. But because it yes. graduated into Monday and then, which Monday I think was a pleasant surprise for everybody. And once it graduated into Tuesday, then I think, I think people shared that intimate was that people were basketballed out. Tuesday felt like you accidentally, not accidentally, but somebody booked the bachelor party one day too long. Like we, we love each other. We love hanging out. It's a great time, but just one day too many. I can't get drunk this many days in a row. Okay. Now this is a different, and I don't know why I didn't feel that the first weekend. Maybe it's because I was like, you know, it's, it's kind of like I, I have a short ass attention span to where I could the first weekend of it, you can look at so many more games, but like now you just have to focus on one. And if it's a boat race, like whenever Gonzaga plays, Mm -hmm. then yeah. And and we can get into the lines for the final four soon, but I just, the the Michigan game was a little bit against this, but the elite eight just wasn't as eventful as I was hoping for. Now, again, I'm not complaining because we missed a year, so I can't bitch. But that being said, I'm going. To I think bitch. I think you're right, but I think the pinnacle of the 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 Elite Eight was supposed to be Arkansas Baylor, and that turned out to be a nothing burger, really, because Baylor is just that much better. Yes, but, but I think I think overall you're generally right because people that's what people were expecting. Um, I think people didn't know what they were expecting out of Houston and Syracuse. I think people wanted Syracuse to kind of stick around as long as they could. Um, obviously that didn't work out. Um, the USC Gonzaga game was over in the first five minutes. Um, <laughs> the accuracy, the accuracy. USC scored like 15 points at halftime and never recovered. Um I, I don't think any – I think there's only one team that can recover, and that might be Baylor here. So It might be Gonzaga, honestly. <laughs> Against that might themselves. be the only team that could recover. <laughs> um, but that's, but that's, what, that's what you're dealing with. And, and the, the Michigan-USC game, I think, was the exact game that everyone was expecting it to be, which was a, basically a, a street fight that basically took a year and a half to get to because <laughs> both teams' pace just isn't there. And I think that's the one thing that as we get into the matchups – this weekend, I think that's one thing that I think a lot of people need to be aware of is that UCLA doesn't want to play fast. UCLA under no circumstance wants to play fast. Like I think they're like 330 in pace or like 330th in pace. And that's terrible. Well, they, and that's it, just absolutely terrible. And like Gonzaga is in the top 10. So it's one of those things where it's like, if Gonzaga can be okay with the fact that they aren't going to play as fast as they want to, they're going to win. But at the same time, we're going to get into our picks and picks in a minute. So I'm not going to spoil anything, but at the same time, it's one of those things that that is, they're going to have to overcome that. And that's going to be an issue for them as we, as we watch and as we kind of marinate in this game, that's going to be winner goes to the, goes to the national championship game. Yeah, no, you, you, you couldn't be more right because what I noticed is that UCLA did an incredible job of taking Michigan out of what they wanted to do. Michigan was okay with a track meet because they're, they're one of the, you know, Michigan top four teams in the country. And Michigan they has were the big guy to be built for a track meet. And that's the one thing that I think really yeah. throws teams off is that they expect Michigan to be slow because they have, they play a lot of big guys and the big guys want to run. They got lured into the trap of, yeah. of slow methodical. 
And what I was so confused about is they went into half down what, like eight, even yeah. more. So what they did, the, the first 10 minutes coming out of the second half was exactly what they needed to do. It's not that they were going crazy quick. They were going just a little bit quicker, but for whatever reason, the paint was working. They were feeding the paint and then they just stopped. I think, I think the, the thing that really kind of sets itself out is that I think, um, you know, there were aspects about the Michigan game that ultimately you watch and you go, UCLA got really lucky because Michigan missed their last eight shots. And I would say three of them were wide open three pointers. Okay. That if you're Michigan, you're kicking yourself for taking and it's a wide open three pointer. And obviously, but if you have that much room in front of you, just drive to the rim. What do you have to lose? You get charged for a charge. If you get called for a charge, you get called for a charge. Thank you. Get over it. Like that's okay. But like they couldn't, they just, they couldn't go faster for settling for threes. They couldn't go. it, it, It took them a while to kind of figure it out early. And then late, they never figured it out. And it's one of those things where it's like, I give all the credit in the world to UCLA for having a game plan, having their identity, establishing it. Yeah. But the thing that I worry about them going forward is that I think in like their last three games, like opponents are like under 50% from the free throw or like under 70% from the free throw line for the game. Opponents are missing shots that are wide open. Like they are, oh. they are getting incredibly lucky as they go along here because they're just <laughs> missing shots. The um, I, I, I'm glad you brought that up. The free throw for Michigan, I think it was what, like, they, it was disgusting. It was under 500. Michigan did score a point, point in the last four minutes of the game. I think they went O of 8 from the floor, O of 8 from the free throw line, and, like, O of something, and, like, obviously O of something else from three. Yeah. That incorporates into that eight. But at the same time, it's like you missed a grand total of 16 shots in the last four minutes of the game. Yep. And one of those wins you the game. Yeah, and this sounds dumb and like revisionist history, but would livers have changed that? No. Because here's the thing is that, you know, most people, well, one, you didn't get to see him at, mm-hmm. in the tournament. So unless you're watching Michigan before his injury, before, um, before even selection Sunday, you, this is just a name of somebody that you hear. And he, to me, he was one of the most impactful people. And it seemed that, Wagner was doing a decent job of filling in the shoes and boy, did he just not do anything that game. The thing about livers is that he's not really known to be like an offensive, like standard for them. He's kind of just like a complimentary piece for them. What his real impact is being able to guard guards on the, on the, on the defensive end. So if, yeah. if he came into Michigan playing Gonzaga in the next round and livers was available, that matchup between livers and Suggs was going to be incredibly fun to watch because Livers is really good guarding man-to-man against a really good point guard where, where he, you know, he doesn't really need to score. Yes. He averages double digits a game. And yes, he does this and that, but it's one of those things where it's like his shot making and his playmaking is, is second to what he can do on the defensive side of the floor. I've always, I've always really kind of looked at his game and kind of seen a little bit of a mini Marcus smart in the sense that like a huge he's compliment. Gonna be, he's going to be really disruptive on the defensive end of the floor. And what you get on the offensive floor is a bonus. And I say it's in air quotes now because Marcus Smart is like part of the big three in Boston. And I don't get command. why he, 
Who taught him how to shoot threes? They demand his offense more than anybody else, but I really just don't understand that. Um, Yeah, we can talk about the Celtics later, but that's a a different story. I do think, though, that Juwan Howard has solidified himself. AP coach of the year, Juwan Howard. Okay. Breaking news. Is that that like legit or Judas? Or is that your prediction? Rossi tweeted it like five months ago. Oh, shit. Okay. Yeah, see, that's – what is what does John Rothstein do from like May to like May to August? Does he I just like, like watch high school basketball? Uh, I feel like I feel AAU like it's JUCO. I feel like it's only self-explanatory in his tweets. He sleeps he in says, May. We sleep in May, <laughs> so he sleeps. I guess I do have to say I know that the bubble must have been a grind. Well, it still is for the guys that are there, but at least you know. 25 to 30 days straight in the bubble had to have been a blast had to be yes. a blast right especially for people that love it mm-hmm. like you you know rothstein is like a pig and shit there he's like he couldn't love it so um is michigan a basketball school now <laughs> um in the words of two people who i'm very close with who both went to michigan um, their exact quotes are Juwan Howard has done more at Michigan in one year than Jim Harbaugh has done at six. Yeah. So yes. I mean, they're damn that's good. The, at that's the crazy so. thing about this, right? Is that Michigan right now is top five in the recruiting class for this upcoming year. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure they're probably going to lose. They're probably going to lose somebody on that team. Whether it's Livers, I think Livers is probably going to leave. I think um, Hunter Dickinson might leave. Uh, Wagner might leave. Like, there's a they, they're going to lose some pieces this offseason, but it's one of those things where, like, with the pieces that they're bringing in, it just might just be a retool. It's not really a rebuild. Okay. Just based on how Howard has them set up for the future. Well, yeah, I, I think you're right. I think it's going to be almost like the, there's no rebuilds anymore, it's a reloading. You know, retooling, reloading, and that's, whatever you want to. That's call exactly it. how I feel about Gonzaga for next year because Gonzaga brings in a class that's just ridiculous, and it's like it's ridiculous in the sense that Gonzaga does a really good job of recruiting outside the box. And what I mean okay. outside the box, it's outside the United States. They have all these Australians, <laughs> they have all these New Zealand kids, they have all these European kids, because it's like you bring them to the you bring them to Gonzaga, and then they can figure out what they want to do from there because they already have the international exposure. So it's like. They're, they're really good at recruiting internationally. So for them, it's like they play an international style of basketball, which is making them so successful because it's, you know, it's not the, the cut and dry what you see now for in, in, in current college basketball. I just want to take a, a quick break to, one, say happy opening day. But, two, did you already see that within the first, like, we're not even two hours in to opening day and the Reds are already getting their shit pumped. Did you see Mickey? Oh yeah, <laughs> that was yeah. so funny. <laughs> it it's tough not to like him. I I know that you know he's if, like a hundred and five, but yes. If the Red Sox get to the you know get to the playoffs, it's somebody that they typically always have to go through is Detroit. But yeah, they're just fun. They're just fun. And uh, Red Sox got postponed to tomorrow. I guess that's good to start my pain that it's one day less of pain. I don't know. This, this team, like, they're probably going to give me enough hope to, to hang on, which is going to be a, a real bitch. But um, the only thing that I really do know about this team is that their bullpen's going to be better. 
their offense is going to be better and their pitching, their starting pitching is their starting pitching. So take it for what you want, which is probably nothing, honestly. Um, yeah, we can, we can talk about pitching in a second, but we have got two very good games, hopefully, please, dear God, uh, two very good games coming up. Gonzaga and UCLA, Baylor and Houston. I believe that um, Gonzaga did open up and they still are at a 14-point favorite. 14-point favorite. Yeah. And Baylor is minus five, and I don't think that's enough. Um, so I'm taking two very different steps on this one. Truthfully. Okay. Um, I think that the Houston Baylor game is going to be Baylor minus five and over 134. Yes. Um, okay. I think that Baylor, that Houston falls into a trap a lot of the times of playing to the other paces team and not really establishing their own. And I don't think that Houston has played with the team that can be as up tempo as Baylor is because Baylor can push you. And, um, even though they can push you, they play really strong defensively. And I think that this might be the best offensive team that Baylor is going to play in this tournament. And I have very serious concerns with how they're going to keep up because Baylor's just as good on the inside as Houston is. Baylor's just as good at shooting the three as Houston is. And Baylor honestly might be better at guarding the three than Houston is. So it's one of those things where I have serious concerns about what Houston can do on the offensive side of the football. So I'm going to take Baylor minus five. And I think that there are going to be 79 to 78 game. So over 134. Okay. I'm, I'm slightly worried. Here. I said 79, 78 isn't like what Baylor's final score was going to be. I'm sorry about that. I didn't mean to make it seem like it was going to be a one point game. <laughs> Appreciate the clarification. I, I needed to give that. Cause that would be absolutely contradictory to me. <laughs> Unless it happens, then I'm going to cut that out. Make you look smart. Um, Gonzaga has scored 98, 87, 83, 85. So they found their groove in the mid-80s when they weren't playing a 16 seed. Um, UCLA, again, as we literally just talked about, low and slow, like we're cooking some brisket. It's the way they like it. Um, Mm -hmm. That over is at 145 and a half. The the only reason I'm leaning under is simply because – one of two things happen either Gonzaga blows them out or UCLA somehow pulls them into this spider web and they're going low. I like the under on this. I hate betting unders truly do. I, I lost every, every over bet, but two last weekend, it was disastrous because I think only three hit and I didn't yeah. bet the other one. The unders um, on this tournament have been very strong. Yes, especially as we kind of get to the meat and potatoes of it. I've got the yep. under on this one. I hate it, but I do. I'm following you. I really like the under in this game, and it's and it's strictly because that I think Gonzaga can score, and I'm not sure UCLA can get sometimes. Um, so do I think that Gonzaga can put up 100 points against UCLA? I don't, but I think that they could put up in the 80s. I think you're right. So mm-hmm. that means that Gonzaga, that UCLA has to put up 60 against Gonzaga, and I don't think they can. Yeah, I want to take you back here. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up really quick. But I'm also t- taking UCLA in the points. So, okay, so you're taking Uckla plus fourteen. 
Yeah, I am. I just I, I feel like they're too strong defensively. Okay. And too um their pace is too slow for it to get out of hand. But I okay. feel like, you know, if it's gonna if it's gonna go over by any any shot, it's gonna be on like free throws in the final minute, I think. I will say though, you know what's crazy to me is that you, you mentioned oh you mentioned just now that Juwan won, you know, uh coach of the year. Mick Cronin's been cooking himself up something nice. Uh, yeah, too bad he didn't do that all year. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. They did. They definitely did hit a skid. Um, it. They've definitely found their guy long term because he doesn't have the talent, but yet he's able to coach up to mm-hmm. it. Uh, it's it's as simple as that. And so one thing I want to take you back to that that we've seen is the butterfly effect. So I want to go back to the first four game. Mm-hmm. It was Mick Cronin versus Tom Izzo. They were playing for an 11 seed to get to play BYU in the first round. And UCLA, by the way, stomped BYU by 11 points. So I'm looking, yep. I'm looking at the bracket now. If Michigan State would have won that game, whatever happens, how far do they go? Because UCLA's path was beating BYU by 11, uh, beating Abilene Christian by 20, and then beating Bama by 10. Mm-hmm. And to me, I would see uh, Michigan State also getting into the Sweet 16, but then losing to Alabama. So yeah. I could have I could have seen them beating BYU because it just seems that they got a, a good seed because of their conference. And they were they were overpowered or overfavored. Mm-hmm. Abilene Christian way in over their head, um, and then Bama just ran a track meet. So where, do you think they would have tripped up before then? Do you think we could have seen Abilene Christian in the Sweet 16? What are you thinking? I don't think we could have seen Abilene Christian in the Sweet 16. <laughs> um, I, I thought that Abilene Christian's um, shot-making ability was poor, and I thought that Texas lost that game and not necessarily that Abilene Christian won that game. Okay. Um, so I didn't think that Abilene Christian was going to win. I, I personally thought that Alabama was going to beat UCLA. I didn't think that – UCLA was going to get past them. Um, I, I just, to me, it was a little bit surprising just because Alabama is known for having this, this identity and this tempo and, and everything about them. And it's one of those things where they're still building there. Like this isn't like a, mm-hmm. you know, a, a coach who's been there for five years and this is like the peak of what they're going to get. Like they're still building there, but at the same time, I, I kind of expected a little bit more out of Alabama. So I guess that's a good thing considering that this is NATO's second year, but I think the sour taste that's in your mouth if you're an Alabama fan with how you went down against Clemson about against UCLA, I feel like is a little bit of cause for concern, but that's just because I'm me. No, you're exactly right. And like when I'm looking at this, you know, you see some you see some revisionist history, like of course Ohio State, of course Texas wish they had seen the board differently. I mean, hell, even Clemson probably wishes that they saw the board differently when losing to Rutgers in the first round. But um, there's there are some teams that deserve all the credit. I think uh, Arkansas is one of them mm-hmm. in the fact that, you know, they it wasn't really upsets because they were a three seed and they got where they wanted to, but they were continuously doubted. So I think that that was a pretty big one. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to go through here and like who is like overperformed obviously we have 
um, UCLA overperforming. I don't think Houston was that much of a long shot. I actually had Houston beating West Virginia in the Sweet 16. Mm-hmm. And it was simply because, you know, we talked about it, that West Virginia couldn't close. And mm-hmm. we saw that. I mean, they if you watch that Syracuse game, they scored five points or no, sorry, two points in the first five minutes of the game. That's yep. so much time and so little points. And so they climbed back. They only lost by three. But again, you still can't be able to shut the door on Buddy Bayheim, who right. Um, Buddy Bayheim is kind of one of those people that I will I, I will anticipate in a few years we see just kind of getting lost in the G League. But uh, Buddy Bayheim to me is on the same trajectory as as uh, Jimmer Fredette. Oh no. <laughs> I was hoping you'd say that. Thank God. With like, you know, he played a little <laughs> bit in the NBA, then chilled out in the G League, and now he's in China. I could kind of see the same thing going on there. I mean, Jimmer Fredette is like the star of the Shanghai Sharks, so. It's true, but did anyone know that the Shanghai Sharks actually existed until about two seconds ago? It's a great question. Hmm. It's a great question. Call in our hotline right now. Figure it Load out. on your phones. <laughs> Let's see. Yeah, I think we covered. I think we covered most of it. Um, but so your prediction: you have UCLA. Um, you have UCLA plus fourteen. You've mm-hmm. also got the under. And then you have Baylor or Houston. No, uh, yes, 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 yes. Sorry. Yep. You have Baylor minus five. Mm-hmm. And you have the over or the under of 134. I have the over of 134. Oh, it's weird when you and I agree on everything. Don't like that. Um, So then that means that you've got a one versus one. I don't think that it's that crazy to have this be chalk whatsoever. Um, So now if that does happen, because we'll we'll have Zags, Baylor, who do you like and why? I don't even know what a line would be. I think a line would also be like four. I think the line would be probably five in favor of Gonzaga. Okay. I think it'd probably just stick around there. Um, you know, this is this is a tough question for me because it's one of those things where it's like I'm trying to figure out what I should do um, with everything. And I feel like, um, you know, I feel like, I feel like Gonzaga is the better team. I feel like Baylor is going to be the fun game that we're going to get if we're going to get Gonzaga Baylor. It's going to be the fun game that we want. But at the same time, it's going to be one of those things that when we look at this and say, you know, what should we expect from this game? I, I kind of lean more towards the team with more senior experience, with more um, just overall confidence in. And I have more confidence in Gonzaga than I do in Baylor. And it's weird for me to answer it that way, just because Baylor's looked really good. Baylor's looked really strong. But at the same time, it's one of those things where they haven't really been measurable to Gonzaga. And I don't know why. And it's bugging me that I'm kind of going back and forth so much in this, because it's one of those things where it's like, I want to know if Gonzaga's for real, but I also know that, it's it's the Cinderella story that's not Cinderella because Baylor's not in the Power Five. Yep. Baylor doesn't have its tested resume because of who they play in their own conference. And, and to me, it's a weird 
it's a weird dynamic. And I, and I think that if there's going to be a team that does it, it's going to be this Gonzaga team. And I think they're going to do it. I don't think that there's anything wrong with that because to the extent of being battle tested at this point in time, I'm throwing conferences out the window. Like if we're at the championship game and it's Baylor versus Gonzaga, I'm not going to pick Baylor just because they fought off all year, Texas, West Virginia, Oklahoma, whatever non-conferences they scheduled. Like I'm not going to just give them a win because of that. You can argue they're more battle tested, but after last weekend, Gonzaga has won 29 out of their last 30 games mm-hmm. by 10 points or more. Like it, you, you might argue that they're not battle tested. I don't think they give a shit. They're, mm-hmm. they're just rolling people. So it's going to be really tough for me to bet against Gonzaga. I, I think the only way they lose is if they have an off game. That's it. It's, it's, a, it's an unfortunate chalk pick that we're both going with. I would actually take Baylor plus five, plus four, plus six, whatever it is. I can see this being a two, three-point game because that's actually what I thought it was going to be. When I had Illinois versus Gonzaga, I thought it was going to end up being like a three, four-point game. Actually, we want to talk about business, biggest disappointments. Got to be that. I, I kept I, – I, I took Illinois spread – I live bet them at two and a half. I live bet them again at five and a half and just got stomped all over the yard by it. <laughs> yeah, it hurt. that one hurt. So for me, it's, it, it's essentially Gonzaga's to lose. And so I got to put it up there. It would be very interesting to see what that over under is. I can see it being like 139, 141, like kind of right in between where we've got these games right now. Truthfully, I could see it being higher. Oof. Then I'm definitely taking the over. Just because, just because I feel like Baylor, <laughs> Baylor's okay with playing the track meet that Gonzaga wants to play. They might both enjoy it. <laughs> so I feel like it's going to be like in the 145s to 150 area. Wasn't it the Phoenix Suns where it was like their second seven seconds or less offense? Yes. Yeah, that's that's what we may just see for. <laughs> Shout out Mike D'Antoni. Um, but yeah, so. The other thing that I wanted to bring up before we move on is uh, the Survivor Pool still in it. I've yeah. been told that if I go with everyone else, which is pick Baylor in the next game and then pick Gonzaga in the finals, I will win based on my aggregates. Uh, no, based on the fact that I took Rutgers and UCLA in the first, and not UCLA, Rutgers and Ohio in the first two uh, picks. So I kind of don't know if I should stick with that strategy or if I should take Baylor in the finals against and take Gonzaga in this round, I, I'm kind of going back and forth because I want to win. That's what I'm doing this for. I want to win. I don't want to win by tiebreaker. I would just want to win. So um, I put up a poll a couple days ago. It's pinned as our top tweet right now. Um, vote on it. Let me know your thoughts. Who should I take of the three teams I want to take left? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go for whoever, whoever the, everyone to pick. So if it's going to be UCLA, then I guess I'm taking Baylor. <laughs> that's, that's, that's rough. So that's, 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 that's my plea. I just want everyone to vote. Thank you. I love it. I love it when a poll lasts like four days. And that's what I did here. I did it so that way we could record. And then not everyone has until Saturday to make up their mind for me when I have to make up my own mind. You didn't even offer up Houston. 
I can't take Houston. That's my issue. Oh, okay. I already took Houston the like the to go to the Sweet Sixteen, and no, to go to the Elite Eight, and I couldn't take him after that. There you so. go. Okay. Yeah, you heard the man. Go vote. Do your shit. Um, who? Do you, you think? Do you think? I I kind of want to go to uh, NFL right now. Do you think? Michael Strahan's stuff is a joke or not? No. No, if he did it today, I would say it's an April Fool's joke, but because he did it like three days ago, I'm going to say no. But that was my thing. That's what Anthony Davis did. And then he, and then he went uh, He did it the hiding. day before, though. Okay. Like, Strahan's has been for two days now. He's got, he looks good. If it's real, he looks good. I saw a yeah. picture of it. I don't know if it was Photoshopped or not, but... He, he always used to say it was his icon. It was his image that, you know, you could, you could fit a Boeing in between those things. Yep. But maybe he just got tired of it. Maybe he just wants to eat corn of the cob. I don't know. These are all good options for him. Though. I feel like, I feel like with the gap that wide, I feel like you could tell the difference. You could eat a corn of the cob anyway. <laughs> you, you think it's that? Yeah. Yeah, well, when I think so, I I have no idea, man. I I haven't measured his his insides. I haven't either, but it's one of those things where it's like you got to just you know go with what your eyes tell you. Yeah, well, we also had um, not like a I guess you can call it like a, a blockbuster trade of sorts uh, if you consider picks to be blockbuster that the the Forty ers moved up to number three. Oh, these these are the big pieces. There, of course, other pieces and. The Eagles traded so that they they also traded back. So now the Dolphins have number six instead of number three. The 49ers have the third pick, and the Eagles traded down to the 12th pick. Those are like my two or like my three biggest because they're all the the highest picks out of all of those. And by the looks of it, Kyle Shanahan, not a fan of what his options are to replace Jimmy G. Um, I don't know where I stand yet on this because I've gone back and forth on this so much. I could see, here's what I'm going to say right now is that in my heart of hearts, I truly believe that the 49ers are not going to trade Jimmy Garoppolo in my heart of hearts. And I texted you this when the trade got announced (laughs) and I'm absolutely delusional for it. And I'm okay with that living in my own little private Idaho here. But I, I truly think the 49ers might try to might actually consider drafting Sewell. And I think okay. they should consider drafting Sewell because Sewell is a monster on the offensive line. Monster. So to me, it's one of those things where I kind of look at that and say, Jimmy G is one pass away from being a Super Bowl MVP, getting a massive contract extension, and not having this conversation. Yes. If he hits Emmanuel Sanders on that deep bomb, we're not having this conversation at all in the slightest. Thank you. He's gotten injured. The the 49ers themselves just have injury issues. And they have a good run game. And to me, the only way that you booster that run game is by taking the best offensive lineman in the draft, which is Panay Sewell. And I sent you it before, but it's just, to me, it's, you know, Sewell, I think, is going into this draft as a tackle. 
Um, if the 49ers drafted him, he'd obviously have to change to being a guard until they got rid of um, Trent Williams or McGlinchey. But it's it, it's the offensive line that would be there is one that I think generally could be widely regarded as the best offensive line in football. Because it's – and I need to need to pull up my correct thinking here. Just off the – like not the eye test, of course, but – we know that generally to be true. Yes. And for me, I think it depends upon they're they got to be having a ton of closed door meetings right now to decide like, what do we want? And I still think that Jimmy G is above serviceable hey, when he's healthy, that. when he's healthy. And yeah. you could, you could honestly tell him, you could say, Hey, you know what? I don't know how old he is. He's probably what? 29, 30. Yeah, right. He's about 30. Yes. Yeah. It, you could say like, Hey man, we're going to give you one more contract and that contract is going to be like four seasons or whatever it is. But two things why we're going to draft a rookie quarterback. One, we really like this specific one. Two, you may have injury concerns. We don't want to lose those games. And three, you're not going to live forever. Yeah. And, and, and if you're an NFL quarterback, you have to accept that. Yeah, but they, he won't. But the, <laughs> the thing for me is that the thing for me is that I kind of look at this and say, just helping me prove my point that, that, that this offensive line would be ridiculous. Trent Williams, pro bowler. Alex Mack, pro bowler. Mike McGlinchey, pro bowler. Penae Sewell. That's four of your five offensive linemen. Yeah. That's a ridiculous line. Um, to me, you're not wrong. And it's one of those things where I feel like I feel like the 49ers have proven that even with Jimmy G out, they can have a backup quarterback be there and not miss a beat by that much. They might be a step behind. They might be, you know, lagging in certain areas, but it's, they still won games with backup quarterbacks. And this sounds dumb, but you, when you're in the toughest division in football, you have to be able to do that. Like who, like, let's say Russell takes, takes a hit, whoever the hell they've got has got to, for all of those four teams, you've got to be able to have somebody that's serviceable. And I'm not saying that you just park a guy on his ass for five seasons or anything like that, but you got to have somebody that could come in and win. Get you can't have, I don't know, you can't have Nathan Peterman as your backup here. I, I agree with that, I, and I think that you're saying that actually helps my argument a little bit more because you have the toughest conference of football where you have JJ Watt playing every day, you have Chandler Jones playing every day, you have. Um, Aaron Donald, you have all of these guys who play outstanding on the defensive line and you need a really strong offensive line in this division. And rather than give it to the Bengals or give it to somebody late in the draft who might be in your division, why not just stack your offensive line and just have these ridiculous, let's call them what they are, man eaters. Yes. And just push your way through the offensive line with the run game, push your way through the offensive line and protect your quarterback. Like that just makes the most sense to me in the sense that, you can always draft a quarterback next year. If you're the 49ers, you always can do that. Jimmy G's contract is very favorable to you to trade. If you wanted to do that. Um, Or you can just pick someone off. Who's going to be a free agent next year. Offensive linemen to me are really hard to come by in the sense that really good offensive linemen are hard to come by. You'll get your one or two good in the system. uh, Offensive linemen. As soon as they go somewhere else, they kind of suck or they just stay with one team forever. And that's just the end of the conversation for them. 
And, and to me, it's one of those things where it's like if, if this team was a quarterback away from winning a Super Bowl, which arguably they are, why not boost your offensive line where you're taking the ball out of your quarterback's hand and helping facilitate an offense? Because in my opinion, and this could be the Patriot in me talking, is just that your football team is only as good as your offensive line. Because if your offensive line is terrible, your football team is going to either be outstanding because your quarterback is out of this world but losing Badger early Holmes. in the playoffs. Yeah. Or it's going to be absolutely god-awful and you're not going to go anywhere, i.e. the Cincinnati Bengals. So it's there's really no in-between. So it's for me, it's your football team is only as good as your offensive line. And you, you can make your offensive line better by taking this once-in-a-generation talent and adding him to three once-in-a-generation offensive linemen. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm in agreement with you here. And I think the Bengals are actually a really good team to use as an example here because if you gave Joe Burrow more than, I don't know, eight-tenths of a second to do something, then he might not be hurt right now. Correct. And that's not to say that the Bengals didn't draft well or anything like that. It's just a, that's a systemic problem. And that's why when you also look at the stats, you saw Baker Mayfield had, uh, I think it was top three of all starting quarterbacks, most time in pocket Mm -hmm. or most, most time in between snapping and releasing the ball. And that's simply because they prioritize the offensive line and then they go on, they win 11 games. When a couple of years ago, they went one in 31. Yep. It, it, you are right that even, and I'm not calling Baker Mayfield average here, but if you were to give an average quarterback, maybe Kirk Cousins, I think he's like the epitome of average. Somebody, yeah. you know, a top five offensive line, mm-hmm. they're going to win 10 games. Yeah. And now also, let's talk about this for a second. We're not going 500 literally is no longer an option. Yeah. Well, I guess a tie, but you, you know what I mean? That's crazy. I mean, going 500 in the NFC is an option. It's not anymore because of the NFC West, but it was an option. So going 500 in the AFC is an option. What do you mean? You can go 500 and make the playoffs. Oh, I just meant because of your schedule. Like oh, there's oh, 17 oh. games now. Sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> the 17th game. I have to say, though, week 17 is going to be electric. Typically, that is... Uh, I, don't I don't think so. And the reason, why, so. the reason why, well, maybe maybe four games out of them will be, but you've got the AFC North and the NFC West going at it. And mm-hmm. with those two divisions that are all trying to put three teams in the playoffs each, there's going to be one of those games that is win or get in. And like, yeah. It's Seahawks, Steelers. Uh, I think it's Rams, Ravens. There's Browns, Cardinals. Um, and then somebody, I think it's the Niners that are going to shit pump the Bengals. But um, Probably. That, that's, uh, I don't know who the AFC East plays, though. And I don't know what division they have. Uh, they get the NFC East. So the Patriots and the Cowboys are playing. Uh, I don't know who the Kudos. <laughs> actual. I will say the NFC beast is doing their best to climb back into relevancy. Um, 
yeah, I, look, I, I think the rest of the week 17 schedule is actually really fun, right? I think that's, it's a lot of fun for everybody, right? Because it's, you've got, uh, why am I not picking it up here correctly? You're going to have uh, Packers, Chiefs. You're going to have Seahawks, Steelers, Rams, Ravens, as you mentioned, Cardinals, Browns, uh, Saints, Titans, uh, Bucks, Colts. Damn, uh, look at this. Washington, Bills, Cowboys, Patriots, Eagles, Jets. So it's one of those things where it's like you're going to have some big, big winners in this because you're going to have Packers, Chiefs, Rams, Ravens, Cardinals, Browns, Seahawks, Steelers, Giants, Dolphins, whatever. Um, Giants, Dolphins. Are you that confident in the Giants this year? No, but I'm just, I just like (laughs) making jokes. I saw, um, I saw, I've seen way too many uh, Mac Jones photoshops in a Giants uniform. Way too many. (laughs) It happens. But, but it's one of those things for me where it's like, I'm looking at this and saying, yes, this is a great idea. But let's say we get to week 17. The Packers and the Chiefs both have the one seats. Mahomes and Rodgers aren't going to play. Let's say the Buccaneers understand that they're not going to get the one seat, but they're not going to fall out of the two seat. You're not going to see Brady or any other big person for the Buccaneers. You know what I mean? Like we can make these excuses all the way down. The only way is if, and the only way is if one of them's got home field advantage on the line. Right. That's the only way we're going to see these guys. So it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, we love these, these games now. But at the end of the day, we're just going to be looking at this and saying the only teams that are actually trying are the ones that are out of the playoffs or the ones that are still trying to make the playoffs. Everyone else doesn't care. Yes. So that's, that's my, that's my only thing that I'm trying to, that I'm like, do I really love this or not? You should, you should keep hold. You should, you should hold on to hope, but also that means for a survivor pool that late in the game, you might just have pick of the litter or, for example, if the Buccaneers don't start anybody, it's going to be very easy to fade the Buccaneers that game because they don't give a shit. True, but we're also talking about a Colts team that has the human version of Ron Weasley at quarterback. Hey, again, this is a perfect example. You're going to give him one of the better offensive lines in the league. The Bengals did not give that to him, and he still got them to the playoffs with Marvin freaking Lewis. I... I try to give Andy Dalton the benefit of the doubt here. He's on the Bears. Who am I thinking of? I was talking about Carson Wentz. You're talking about Andy Dalton. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't saying that Carson Wentz is the human version of Ron Weasley because of his hair. I was just saying that he's the human version of Ron Weasley just based on how he looks. I just got my gingers mixed up. That's fine. <laughs> is, is Carson Wentz a ginger? No. I was just saying his just his mannerisms were Ron Weasley esque. Yeah, the the off season the off season rust is here, man. Off season rust is here. That's but rough. that's that's where I am, right? Is is just it's one of those things where it's like I'm not putting too much stock into this yet because I don't want to get my hopes up. And I did this during COVID. I did this during all of this. <laughs> I'm trying not to get my hopes up, people. Oh, so I take that back about Andy Dalton because the Bears don't have an offensive line for him but maybe oh i how would you have described the eagles offensive line under carson wentz average um 
slightly above. Slightly what's below. what's the best way to say this without sounding insulting? Um, ambulance riders. So well, there you go. I think I think the Colts know that their starting quarterback now has an injury problem, but they believe that their front five can stave off as much of that as possible or it, stay healthy. Yeah, this is exactly what I meant. Yeah. And may, maybe he can do it. I mean, I, I don't know. Mm-hmm. He may have the most pressure. I think him and big Ben have some of the most pressure coming into them this season. Actually, Jimmy G might be there. Never mind. Um, those three, maybe Tua is in that boat of like quarterbacks with the most like hot seat coming into week one. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if big Ben is just like, this is my farewell tour. Deal with it. I would be, I would be based on, he's got a that he got. I would be a little shocked. Gotta give some time, man. I don't know. I don't know how he lasted this year, to be honest. Now, the Patriots is, have been spending out of their asshole in a good way. Because if you're going to spend, this is the offseason to do it before we see another cap increase coming in next season. What do you think of the pieces that they built? Great. Who's throwing the football? Who is throwing the football? It's a fantastic question. Uh, and I've never been more convinced that it's going to be Cam Newton. And that bugs me. Why does that bug you? Very, very, very uh, strictly, I'm just going to take this and just say, there are 34 quarterbacks over the last 10 years that would be classified as starting quarterbacks. And I'm putting it in air quotes because – we're classifying them as starting quarterbacks based on like games played and games started and all that. It's like the barometer that you have to reach. These 34 guys have reached it. Okay. Sure. Cam Newton is 30th in QBR. All right. You tell me how good that is. Better than 31st. <laughs> no, it's a shitty answer. And I get it. Thank you. So, so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, yes, Everyone can say that Cam was good pre-COVID and all this stuff. The game before Cam got COVID, he went 100 yards in the air, one touchdown and one interception. That's not good. I'm I'm more worried about what he does with his feet now in the sense that he had some costly, costly fumbles for the Patriots yeah. last season. Yeah, like, I think it was like three or four in the red zone, fourth quarter winding down. So – the interceptions, I guess you can deal with. That's kind of inevitable. But when you have a running quarterback, like you don't see Lamar popping the ball out that much. You don't see Patrick Mahomes popping the mm-hmm. ball out that much. So kind of like, I don't know, one of the patriarchs of this quarterback style. He's got to be able, you got to be able to hold on to the damn ball. I don't know. I think it's very clear that they're going in two different, that they are going in one direction, but signing in a different direction. And and it's clear to me that they are going in a run first direction, which is fine because I think John O. Smith and Hunter Henry are decent blockers. But at the same time, you brought in Hunter Henry, who is much more better known for being a pass pass catching running, uh, pass catching tight end. You have uh, Jules, you have Harry, you have all of the guys that you brought had from last year. And then you also have Nelson Aguilar and Kendrick Bourne. 
And I think that they reached at the wide receiver position because I don't think that Nelson Aguilar is yep. the number one wide receiver. I don't think that Kendrick Bourne's the number one wide receiver. I don't think you have anybody there who can be remotely close to being a number one wide receiver. So it's one of those things where it's like, you're going to have to figure out ways to throw balls to different guys because the defense is just going to say, we can just throw our best guy on any of them. And it's not going to matter because their second best guy is better than whoever they're not, whoever he's not on. So that's the other thing. So I, I think that it's going to be an interesting year in the, it's just going to be interesting to see what they do. I think that they're probably going to draft a quarterback. Um, if not with their first pick, uh, with their second, um, I would anticipate that really of their first pick, if they had someone there, I think they would probably take a Mac Jones or yeah. they would take a, or they would take a, a, a Trey Lance because Lance can just sit on the bench for a year and then start next year when Cam's not there and just suck it up with Cam for one year. Or um, they're going to go to like a Kellen Mond and do the same thing. I think he, if Mac Jones is there, they're going to take him. And I think he's going to compete for the starting job right away. And I think he might win the starting job right away. I, I think, think Kellen, if they go with Kellen Mond, if they go with Trey Lance, if they go with Kyle Trask, if they go with any other quarterback, I think it's going to be Cam's our starting quarterback this year. And yeah. next year, we'll figure it out. Which to me, terrible sign, but that's just me. I think, I think Kellen Mond is falling into a trap. There's definitely some recency bias with Kellen Mond. I'm not saying that he's a bad quarterback at all. I just don't think that he's ready to get thrown into the fire because if Cam gets hurt or anything like that, I think that that's a really... Um, I think and, he's going to get the Jordan Love treatment, honestly. I think he's just going to sit in the press box all year. I think it's going to be Cam Newton. I think it's going to be Jared Spitham, and I think that's going to piss everyone off, which it should. But at the same time for me, it's one of those things where it's like Trey Lance... Kellen Mond, Kyle Trask, and I think um, – who's the guy from Wake Forest? Jamie Newman? I think so, yeah. They're all going to get the same treatment of they're not going to play this year. Everyone knows that they're not going to play this year. They're going to get the the Patrick Mahomes. They're going to get the Jordan Love tra- treatment of they're going to sit in the press box the entire year and learn and just relearn everything. And it, it's going to be fine in the sense that, you know, it is what it is, but at the same time, it's like you signed all these guys this offseason to big contracts, and their first year here is going to be abysmal at best. Yeah, Jamie Newman's rumored to hit the Steelers, which might be very good for them. Um, one thing that pisses me off about, and, and maybe it's because we don't have enough to talk about, or maybe it's because we're just looking for like clickbait nowadays, but every year I see, I see somebody at their pro day being compared to Brady. I don't think, I think that these only, are... I think we've only seen that with one quarterback this year. No, I know. We see it every year, though. Is what I'm not saying all of them. I'm saying that they specifically focus on one, and this year it's Mac Jones because of his, his tummy. So, <laughs> some, somebody put up a photo of Mac Jones shirtless and put oh, it okay. next to... See, that's, okay, that's a different conversation. But to me, it's, I think that they're pretty equal in the sense that they aren't really mobile guys. They aren't known for their athleticism. They're known for more slinging the football. Then we need to have realistic conversations about this. We need to have realistic comparisons. And I, maybe it's the clickbait thing that we want to compare him to the greatest I think it's just the, I think it's just the, the abilities and the tangibles about them that are similar. I don't think it's, you know, Mac Jones is going to be Tom Brady. I think it's just, if you had to compare it to one guy in the NFL, who's currently playing quarterback, 
You're not going to compare him to Aaron Rodgers because Aaron Rodgers can run the ball. You're not going to compare him to Josh Allen because Josh Allen can run the ball. A Danny Dimes you could have a conversation with, but Danny Dimes ran the ball and tripped over the 10-yard line. Blake Bortles. That's far better than Tom Brady. I think Blake Bortles is a more accurate assessment right now of somebody that has never played an NFL snap than comparing him to the greatest of all time. I think that Mac. I think that Mac Jones throws the ball better than Blake Bortles, though. I think that's the other. I, think I love Bortles. Bortles has a rocket arm. I I always. I'm not saying it's accurate, but he has a rocket arm. I, I just. I think that. I think that Mac Jones throws a better ball than Blake Bortles, so I think that's why he's not in that conversation. We're we're definitely getting to, and there's no way to judge this at all. Maybe there is, and I'm which is I'm wrong, which is why but, I think that it's fair to do these these things because okay. there's no way to be like. Oh, well, he actually was this. No, he's his <laughs> own person. Like, there's no way that we can, unless Mac Jones turns into Tom Brady, then we can have that conversation. But it's like, no one's going to turn into this. Like, Patrick Mahomes isn't going to be Tom Brady because Patrick Mahomes brings a whole different set of skills to the quarterback position than Brady does. And I think that's what we're talking about here is that Mac Jones brings the a similar set of skills to what Tom Brady brings to football now. And I think that it's, okay. he has a good arm. He has a, He has a head. And he can do things on the football field, beating you over the top. And at some points in these games, calling audibles and making decisions that I think Brady can do now. And I don't think that it's of the same comparable level, but I think it's better than what Brady was when he came into the league. And I actually, I don't even hate the Baker Mayfield comps because the one thing that Baker does a little bit better than him is when the pocket collapses, I can trust him to get yards. And I don't know that about Mac Jones. You're, you're not going to get yards from Mac Jones because Mac Jones so, isn't remotely as fast as Baker. And that's the thing. And, and I think that's the other thing though, why he's getting compared to Brady so much is because they are just as fast as each other. They both look like they're uncoordinated when they run and they are slower than if they were dragging somebody in concrete. Yeah. And that, that's why it, it, Brady looks even slower because he tapes up. His like his entire ankles and shins are taped up. Yep. So <laughs> seeing that is is very funny. Um, I wanna I wanna ask you this because this gets to me every year, and I don't know how to properly evaluate it. But when you're looking at quarterbacks, and this was whether it's Alabama, Ohio State, LSU, honestly, I would argue Oklahoma for this as well. That when it comes to these quarterbacks that are coming out of these absolute powerhouses they're throwing to wide open receivers. Like there's a difference between being open quote unquote in the NFL and being Alabama open or being Ohio state open to where they've got eight yards and nobody's near them because they've just got literally the best of the best. So to me, that's, that's very difficult for me to accurately rate a quarterback unless they're playing against each other. So unless Oklahoma sees LSU or Ohio State sees Alabama, like that's when the quarterbacks to me get really rated. But when Ohio State is playing Northwestern, that might be a bad example because they're not terrible. But you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The, it's tough to evaluate them when it's a boat race and you know they're never going to have that in the NFL. There's not mm-hmm. going to be that Alabama open in the NFL. I agree with that. Yeah, it's one of those things where you also have to kind of look at it and say, you know, I think the only quarterback that has come in and played really well outside of 
Burrow is Herbert. And I think Herbert probably had the same questions of, can he find the open guy in time? And I think he had to do a trial by fire and figure it out. And I think he's figured it out really quickly here. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I think those are legitimate concerns. I think that there are, I think that Mac Jones is prepared for it because he has Sarkeesian because he had Sarkeesian as his offensive coordinator and Sarkeesian was an offensive coordinator in the NFL. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, you know, I, 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 from what I've been hearing, I think I would like to say the same thing about Justin Fields, but I just don't know if I'm there yet. That Justin Fields has always had the ability to go through his progressions quicker than normal quarterbacks in the stage that he's in. And I think that we did see it at times in, in Ohio State because he got the ball out really quickly. Yeah. But also at the same time, it's one of those things where it's like the – stigma against Ohio State quarterbacks is going against them. And I think people are starting to uh, people are, are are know this and it's it's going to hurt a Ohio State quarterback regardless of who it is until there's a quarterback from Ohio State that's good enough to play in the NFL. And I, I and I think that if there was ever a, a shot that it could be done, it's just a field now. Yeah. And so we we talked about this a little earlier. Um in texting but when the eagles traded down to 12 is is jalen waddle the best goal for them is that is that like the top circled in sharpie if he's there we're gonna take him or is that their ideal spot because to me they should be looking for receivers that that is like i i think so i think that there's probably an outside chance that jamar chase is probably going to get there i think it's an outside one i think it's real but i think it's outside um well that would be my top then right jamar chase is absolutely insane i think that would be everybody's top but it's (laughs) i think it's one of those things where you know based on how you know everybody thinks that this is going to go you know i think if jamar chase is there you have to take jamar chase but Devonta Smith's not bad. Uh, Waddle's not bad. Um, I think I'm trying to. There's no like once you get past Waddle, there's really nobody else. Maybe Kadarius Tooney from Florida. You might have a uh, Terrence Marshall at LSU. You might have Elijah Moore. Those wouldn't be bad picks, but I feel like if you're looking for what you need, which I think the Eagles really need a number one wide receiver. You're going with the one of those three guys. And I think that based on how this is shaking up, I think that there is a real chance that you could definitely see that because I don't think, and I'm going off of Todd McShay's most recent thing. Sure. I don't know what the Falcons are going to do at four. I think that's where the draft really starts for everybody because I think that it's pretty set in stone that the Jaguars are going to take Lawrence. The Jets are going to take Wilson. And yeah. I mean, the 49ers are ultimately going to take a quarterback regardless of if I think they're going to be better with an offensive <laughs> lineman, but whatever. I think the draft really starts at four because if Atlanta decides that they're like, they're comfortable with Matt, with Matt Ryan for at least another two years, they're not they going to sh- draft a quarterback. They should be, to be honest with you. I don't know why they wouldn't, but that's, if they're comfortable with that, they should go for an offensive lineman. They should go for Kyle Pitts. They should Dang, go for Jamar Chase. So it's one of those. Mild. Yeah. So it's one of those things where it's like, if they decide to get rid of that pick and trade down, then we could see another quarterback taken there. And then, you know, you'll have, um, you'll probably have Sewell taken five to the Bengals. 
You have the Dolphins at six, who my guess is they'd probably take Devonta Smith over Jamar Chase because of the relationship that he already has with Tua. Um, or maybe Waddle over to over over Devonta Smith just because of the relationship that they have with Tua. Um, so that takes us to seven already, and I think that the Panthers are going to take a quarterback. I think the Lions are going to take a wide receiver, so that's where I think Jamar Chase or Jalen Waddle will go. And then the Eagles kind of have to pray that someone else is going to come in there and, and, and you know go defense or go in a different position than quarter than than wide receiver. And I think that's where you're going to get. The Broncos, maybe the Cowboys probably are going to go defensive just based on how bad they were defensively this year. <laughs> and, and the Giants, I don't, th- I don't know what they're going to do at 11. I really don't. So it, it's going to be one of those things where I think if the Eagles can find a way to trade back into the top 10, maybe get the fourth pick, maybe get the eighth, maybe get seven, yeah. whatever it is. If they can get back into the top 10, I think they're going to do it. It's, I, I love that analysis because I, I think that Kyle Pitts and we, you know, we were talking heavy, heavy wide receiver and I know that he's a tight end, but. He's just know, as good as that though. That's the thing though, is that he's just as good. Thank you. Yes. He, at he's wide not, receiver as he is at being a blocking tight end. He's not being overlooked at all. So I'm not going to say that people are giving him plenty of respect that he deserves. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that your point about the Falcons are great because if he were to go with an older quarterback of some sort, and I guess I use older as a relative term here, but somebody that can work in close coverage and that can handle that type of, I don't know, that type of absolute chaos that tight ends typically have to live in. It's going to be awesome for a quarterback that is on their last or about to get their last contract. And that's Matt Ryan. Mm-hmm. So I, I think I think you may see a lot of rumors depending upon it. Let's say he goes to the Falcons. Depending upon how well the Falcons do, I would I could easily see rookie of the year like whispers here and there. You know, week nine, week ten. You know, he's like, holy shit, he already has eleven touchdowns. He, he's completely forgotten about all his other receivers, whatever. Mm-hmm. So I like how it fits a lot. Um, yeah, I I am. I don't really know how to evaluate Trask, but here we are. I like Kyle Pitts too much to worry about the quarterback in, in Florida. So, um, Opening day for MLB. First off, shout out Pat Light for liking our videos. That is not the first one that we put on Instagram at DH underscore podcast. Come on the podcast, sponsor the podcast, do whatever you want. Own the podcast. I don't care. Um, these are all options for you. I'm, I'm very cheap and yeah, we still have to come up with some of our ballparks that we want to go see about favorite foods that we've got. I have done zero research whatsoever. Um, but if we're uh, basing it on tournament has really taken all the energy out of me to do outside work. Yes, exactly. Could, so. couldn't agree more, but it's a great thing to drain the energy. Um, That's true. Opening days here, I it's tough when your team is kind of like not expected to be great to really get into it, but it's nice to see fans out there because it looked like I was just watching MLB the show last season. Like it just didn't seem I know that the World Series counts, I know that the playoffs and all the contracts count. I get it. Yep. It just still didn't feel as authentic as when I'm watching Wrigley Field 
on a Wednesday afternoon and that place is packed or you're going out to Oakland and, you know, the A's are playing the Giants and the Bay is actually packed, you know, mm-hmm. and it's in the middle of a week too. That's what I yep. love about baseball is it, it truly doesn't matter when they're playing. It's, it's literally, if you build it, they're going to be there. So yep. uh, it is really cool to see fans back in the stands. I love to see it, whatever capacity, even if it's 10, 15%, some is better than nothing. I'm very excited about it. Yeah, I'm too. And it's one of those things where I think, you know, as we kind of work our way slowly back to normalcy, um, it's something that's going to be very uh, welcoming as we hit the summer is seeing a stadium full of people and not having it be weird. Hopefully. Yeah. I mean, I, I've got it. My, my two biggest what ifs are still, I, it's crazy to say this, but the Dodgers are still above big. What if for me is you're, you're adding Trevor Bauer into the rotation that should only mean good things. What if it doesn't, I, I, I have it at a 0% chance they missed the playoffs. I, I don't think that that's really an option, mm-hmm. uh, especially in the division that they're in. Um, that, that uh, NL West is pretty, pretty weak. So I, I don't have a problem with them making the playoffs. I just see it more of a player cohesion thing. He could get along great and they just, you know, run it back. That's fine too. Um, Yankees are a big what if for me. Their, their talent on paper is immeasurable, but yet it seems that when they get on the field, things just don't add up as I think they're losing right now. They lost. <laughs> Suck it. Um, my favorite teams to watch are going to be Slam Diego and the Chicago White Sox. I think they're I think they're all they're both gonna be a blast to see this year. So um there's one thing that I'm gonna to say to your concern about um the Dodgers, and, and it's really just gonna be this. If you have a pitching staff and a pitching rotation where David Price, the Cy Young winning the whatever he just came off a Cy Young win based on his last season that he played, yeah. David Price um is in the bullpen. I think you have a lot to be okay with. Yeah. And, and I, like I said, there's a 0% chance they miss the playoffs. No, no issue whatsoever. If you keep yeah. Trevor Bauer away from the drones, I think we'll be fine. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that this is going to be a very top heavy season. I think that this is going to be the Yankees, the Dodgers, um, maybe, maybe the angels out West, maybe, um, but, you know, I, I think this is going to be an incredibly top-heavy year. And I think that if you're looking for parity in baseball, you're not going to get it. And I think that's going to be okay for this year. I don't know if it's going to be okay for next year, if it continues for two years, but I think you're going to be okay with it this year. I want to, on the record, that you people that are attending games, you better not forget that the Astros have not gotten their, uh, their comeuppance yet. You don't forget that. You give them – you give them the what for. Bang your trash cans. Who did they? Whatever. They start tonight in Oakland? They might get tonight in Oakland. Uh, Oakland probably doesn't have any people there, do they? I have no idea, actually. It's a great point. Um, I'm trying to find places that they would get booed like almost immediately. How um, do we 
how did we not think about this? But um, April 30th through the 6th of May, they're in Tampa and New York. They're going to get absolutely heckled. Yeah. And I, I don't know if they ever see the Dodgers this year, but that would easily be one where they just die. Um, so far, I have the Dodgers at home. Mm. Ooh. <laughs> and we get, then we get to the second half of the season. Francisco. Yep. They go to, they go to the Dodgers, but it's like a Tuesday and Wednesday night game. That's uh, they're going to pack that shit out. Um, two things to know Wednesday night in October in, in, uh, not October in, um, August. So that might be, that might be a little tricky. One team we forgot to mention, and I don't really know how we did uncle Stevie and the Mets. Um, they are definitely. That was a big contract for him. Lindor. Yeah. See, they had announced the 10 year contract and then he said that he wanted 12. So it seems that he moved the goalpost and then came off of that a little bit Mm -hmm. because that final number was pretty much almost spot on from what was reported a month ago. Yeah. And I don't know what Lindor did on his side to then go try to go for two more years. And I think it was like 60 more million, but they were just like, no, I, I don't know what you want from us here. So what it ended up being 10 years, 349 or three, somewhere in that business. Somewhere in that range, yes. So they're definitely going to be postseason contenders. Cannot, cannot sleep on them as well. But one thing I got to ask you, give me your top three stadiums, your favorite MLB stadiums. And I think we should eliminate Fenway for this conversation because it might be both in, in both bars. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, places that I've been to or places that I want to go to? Your choice. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, I think I think I have to start in Arizona. Okay. Because who wouldn't want to live in Arizona, go to a pool to watch a baseball game, but be in Arizona and not in Miami? Logic, my friends. Um, second one, I'm going to say San Diego. I think that's. I think that'd be a fun park for a lot of people. I think that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, third one, I'm going to say the new one in Texas. Okay, it's in a nice spot. It's like in Jerry World. There's like a casino next door. I would be down to visit that. I, okay. I want to go there. I have a. Uh, one of mine is AT and T Park. I think being able to look. Uh, over one side and being able to see the cove, especially yep. if it's at night, that shit's beautiful. Um, if you're looking for a dome experience, um, Miller Park isn't bad. I like it a lot. I've been there, but I do like, uh, is it still called Minute Maid Park in Houston? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. Uh, one. Yes, yes, it is. Dome, train on the inside just a weird hodgepodge of shit going on. I just want the train to like go somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I want to be able to like travel on the train. Yeah. The last time I was there, Bregman or not Bregman, um, Lance Berkman, what a throwback. Lance Berkman almost domed it with a home run ball. Um, and then my third. Now I'm listing off ones that I've been to. I'm gonna go at a. I'm. 
I'm either I'm, I'm going to have a three A three B here of Camden Yards and the National Park. Uh, okay. Camden Yards is just awesome. If you see something go off the building, that means it's at least 400 feet home run. It is an absolute moonshot. So to see that's like super cool. Um, the National Park doesn't have like super redeeming qualities. It's just really nice like oh see i think well it does done. i think it does i think right field there is really nice because it's like it's you got right field and then there's the back part of right field and then so also so my friends don't come in like physically assault me in my sleep bush stadium is beautiful whatever deal with it it is a nice skyline better than pittsburgh skyline better than cleveland skyline so these are all other ones that you can see their skyline out of the you know, out of the outfield and they position theirs nicely to see the arch and all that shit, whatever. So I'm excited to see how the MLB season unfolds. Um, we are after the, after March Madness concludes, we are diving headfirst into hashtag mock draft season. It's going to be full, full steam ahead. We are five months away from first snap in the NFL um, a little bit before then, do you think how many seasons, my, my last question, and then I have nothing after this is how many seasons of only one bye week are we going to see? Cause I think we're going to move into two bye weeks pretty soon. I think we're going to continue with the one bye week but I think it's going to be a, I, I think it's going to be a second bye week in the sense that like, there's going to be a restriction on players playing 11 of the 12 games or more 12 of the 13 games. Like you can only play a maximum of 12. You don't have to play like you can't play 13. So teams will like use like their second bye week as like a Patriot way in like September where it's like, you know, you take like a week off, like, so it's like you end the preseason, you play week one, you play week two, you take week three off and then you play the rest of the season. Okay. Like teams that have an, or a late bye week would do that early because then it's like you break up the seasons into three parts. Teams that have like a middle of the road bye week will wait until later in the season because then it's like you also break up the season into three parts, but you're focusing more on the playoffs than you are on the regular season. So I think that's what the, that, that's wrong. what I think it'll be. And I think that would be a creative way of getting good product out in the field, but at the same time, not overworking players. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. Um, my last thing for you. Okay. Is Texas back? No. no. You don't like the hire? Well, I don't hate the hire. I think having a really, really offensive focused mind is great. I think it's something that's needed. But to me, like, even winning the Big 12 is just – we won the Big 12 a couple times under Herman. So oh, it's, oh, I was talking about football. I was talking about basketball. Sorry. Oh, um, I guess. Was Texas I, ever there for basketball, though? That's what. That's where I'm. That's where I'm like a little hung up because everyone's like, "Oh, Texas is definitely back now." I'm like, "Was Texas even there?" And they, I mean, they won the Big 12, but again, that's that's kind of like the thing in football, like it's nice to hang your hat on that you won the conference and you get a cool little trophy out of it, but nobody really gives a shit. Like, right. If it's in, I'll, I'll go back to football here for this, that 
it, it's playoffs or nothing. Right. And, and within, within two, his first two years, I could see them making a really, really heavy push for mm-hmm. it. Um, I think that people are going to want to come to that school now a little bit more than they did under Tom Herman. I don't know how many recruits that that brings in because Tom Herman consistently had a top eight, top maybe even six recruiting class in the country. It's just it wasn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Just literally not doing anything. So I am excited for that. Um, basketball, they were never there. So I don't really know. I, I <laughs> you, you can't say that they're back if they were never there. So. That's what I'm trying. That's that's the point that I'm trying to make with with people is that people are like, oh, now Texas is back because they have, you know, their basketball coaches, you know, good and, you know, whatever. I'm trying to figure out if they were ever really there because, yeah, you can, you can make the argument that um, Rick Barnes did a great job under them, but it's like they went to the Final Four, but then before that, weren't they just trash? Yeah, well, I mean, yes. Is it Chris Beard or Bard? Beard. Beard, Baird, okay, got it. Beard, 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 Beard. Um, bad, that's what I'm hire. trying to. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Is that it, it, is really if they were ever there? No, because you, they had you, even going there once doesn't count. So just being there, just going to that Final Four one time under Rick Barnes, I don't classify that as them being like. I don't think they've ever won a national championship in basketball. I think it was a really long time ago, like way before uh, we were born. They have made it to four NCAA tournament Final Fours. They've never won it. There you go. They are the opposite of Michigan. They are not a basketball school. So that's that's what I'm saying. Okay. Texas is back because we they never were there. <laughs> Fantastic. All right, everybody. We will catch you next week. Take care. Uh, get out. Get out and enjoy the weather. Do something with it. Isn't it snowing there? Not in my part of Ohio, but other parts, yes. Go go vote in my poll if you're just chilling in the snow. Vote in the damn poll at DH underscore podcast. We'll see you next week. Peace.